Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. Welcome, you're listening to Radio Maria. This is Questions of Faith, a program in which you can call in and ask a question if you wish, and we highly recommend it. Today, I have the honor of having Father Richard Alnsworth join us um, from Leicester. Hello, Father Richard. How are you? Very good. Um, I was quick enough to just unmute your microphone at the last minute there, so I think we oh. missed we missed the first part of your greeting, but... Um, but you are here nonetheless, um, in a in a sort of digital sense. I, um, I am very digitally here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we when we have Sister Rose on the radio, I always joke that we we're talking through the digital grill. <laughs> um, such as things are these days. And how's the weather over there? It is bright sunshine at the moment, so that's good. We've had terrible rain for the last few days, but. Looks all right at the moment. Long may hmm. it continue. Wonderful. Um, so I'm going to give out the number and then we will say a prayer and then we'll talk about what we're... Well, let me just off the bat say that I'd love to answer questions about war today. Um, not because I have any particular um, enjoyment in the topic, but uh, because I think it's it will be an interesting thing to, to discuss. So if you have such questions, please do... Um, to consider calling in. The number is 01223-375-564. That's 01223-375-564. And the lines are currently open. Father Richard, will you begin with a prayer for us, please? With pleasure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the power of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. The God who has taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gift of that same Spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that prayer. So the number again, if you'd like to call in, is 01223-375-564. It's 01223-375-564. I have um, some questions that have been sent in, and um, I want to get to... I actually have not listened to this question yet because it was sent quite recently, so let's hope that it is uh, it is appropriate. Um, one moment. I'll just get it ready. While you're doing that, let me just say, I'm very happy to answer questions on just war theory and 
especially on the use of nuclear weapons in the light of the Oppenheimer film. But if people want to ring in about other topics, I am very happy to answer pretty much everything as long as it's not too personal. Right. Yeah, and that's actually a good point um, when you mentioned that, because there are sometimes people call in with, with uh, pastoral questions. And, um, and I think that's, that's worth mentioning as well. And I don't really... Uh, uh, I don't really plug that as much as perhaps I should. Last week we had a really wonderful question about bringing children to mass, mm. um, and I think that was that was worth uh, spending a lot of time on, which is what we did. So here we go. I've managed to get this this uh, recording up and going. Somebody sent this through as a WhatsApp um, voice note, and um, here it is. This is from Patrick Lecky. Hi, my question is about the uh, legitimacy of the uh, states that might be involved in uh, a potential war um, or just war. And it's probably a um, really common question, but how do we establish which um, of the states uh, that are actually organizing the war, that are authorizing it, are legitimate? Um, and on what grounds? Because you got uh, cases like in the First World War where both German and British theologians were arguing on separate sides um, about the legitimacy of, of their wars, um, of their sides. And that seems like um, yeah, a, 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 a tricky problem. And then I've got another question about the um, use of force. So to what extent do we um, recognize that <clears throat> a, a, a just war can be offensive or even preemptive? And um, what sort of force is, um, is legitimate to use, considering that um, you might be acting out of um, a need to prevent more evil um, but on what sort of scale can you register how much evil or how much um, damage is going to be inflicted? And I suppose that that's the classic question around um, the, <coughs> the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima and um, Nagasaki. Okay, thank you. So could you hear that all right, Father? Yes, oh, yes, 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 no problem at all. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot in it. Mm -hmm. um, I think, first of all, Patrick spoke about, you know, who are the states involved? Yeah. And it, that is a, an important point that, of course, a just war can only be just if it is directed by a state against another state. And the way that Thomas Aquinas talks about it is princes make war on princes. You know, private individuals can't make war. It has to be made by a prince. Obviously, Aquinas is living in a time when it's kind of assumed that everybody lives in a monarchy. We don't assume that anymore. But there has to be some legitimate state that is the agent okay. in, the, in the making of a just war. I mean, how you go about discerning whether or not a state is legitimate is, of course, a, another very, very complicated question. Um, what, what kind of state has legitimacy? We, we have questions then about 
right to self-determination of peoples and all of this kind of thing. I mean, the example that comes to mind immediately to me would be in the time of the Troubles in Northern Ireland, when the IRA would claim to be acting not as a bunch of private individuals, but on behalf of the Irish state. Yeah. Even though there was a well-established Irish state, the Republic of Ireland, which repudiated the actions of the IRA. So how do you decide what's a state and what isn't? I think in a certain sense, we're fortunate now that we have the United Nations, which obviously didn't exist in the time of Aquinas. So you could say, well, you know, if something's recognized by the United Nations, then prima facie, there's a case for accepting it as a state. And if it isn't, then there isn't. Then we come on to the question of, um, I suppose what it comes down to is, um, are you only allowed to make war if somebody else started it? Mm -hmm. um, is, is war always a matter of self-defense? And in fact, the answer, according to Aquinas, is no, not necessarily. Um, the, you have to attack another state, that I suppose goes without saying, and that enemy must be guilty of some fault. Now, one of the faults it might well be guilty of is making an unjust war, e.g., I don't know, invading Poland in 1939, invading Ukraine last year or whenever it was, Seems like a very long time ago now. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was last year. I think so. But it needn't be that um, there might conceivably be some other wrong that a state has done, which falls short of attacking someone, but which nevertheless is a wrong that needs to be redressed. And then, of course, the question is, is making war against that state the right way of redressing it now um, can i jump in there because yeah. i think that's a very interesting because i've some i've heard someone justify an act of of war like a, an historical act of war by saying that a, a country needed to be punished um and are we talking about the same things now well i suppose in a certain sense we are i mean you need to be very clear what is it that you think you're punishing them for what is it that gives you specifically the responsibility of leveling that punishment? And, and I've already said this, but it's worth emphasizing, is making war against that nation the only way of redressing the wrong? Yeah. But Thomas does speak about making war in order to avenge a wrong or to punish an enemy for refusing to make amends for some past fault. Um, so, for example, one thinks about the Suez Crisis. Now, I'm not saying the invasion of uh, Egypt was a good decision. It clearly, actually turned out appallingly and was a bad choice. And I think um, you can see that it was not proportional. But Egypt hadn't attacked another country. It hadn't invaded another country. But what it had done was seize the property of foreign nationals within Egypt. Right. Um, in this case, the Suez Canal. You might well argue, of course, that a country has the right to seize property which is 
the land of that country. But suppose, for example, um, you had a, a country which suddenly absolutely stripped all of the assets of every foreign national who lived in that country. That's not an invasion, but it might well be that the states to which those foreign nationals belong feel that the only way in which those foreign nationals' rights can be redressed is by um, making war, hmm. in principle. Yeah. I'm not actually suggesting it's a good idea in practice, but one could see how that might be an example other than uh, an invasion of some foreign country or at an attack on you that would nevertheless legitimate war. Okay, I see. Yeah, that's that's yeah, very interesting. Um, is there any other points that you want to make on on Patrick's question? Well, of course, now I've been talking for far so far too long, and I've forgotten. <laughs> um, I've forgotten the rest of it. Um, Shall we hear? I, it yeah, can we hear the last the last part of it again, okay, or so all I'm of gonna, it again, if necessary? I'm going to drop us. I'm going to drop us in um, just at the last part. Yeah, one moment. Um, what sort of force is um, is legitimate to use, considering that um, you might be acting out of um, a need to prevent more evil? Um, okay. But on what sort of... I, do you remember what it was? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about proportionality, yep. essentially, here. And I think we? this is very relevant to the Oppenheimer situation, um, because this is the argument that's often used in in justifying uh the dropping of the atomic bomb is that yeah. had there not been this show of force then they wouldn't you know then the war would have carried on indefinitely um and okay. yeah so first of all there's, there's two things to be said about that firstly that force has to be proportional um to what one is seeking to achieve um the good to achieve to be achieved has to outweigh the intrinsic evil of the violence that war brings with it. So you can't go to war over something slight. War must be a last resort. And a crucial um, rule of Catholic just war theory is one may only use the minimal force hmm. necessary to achieve just ends. So on that point, obviously, the use of, of, of two nuclear bombs, you can't possibly make the claim that that's minimal force. But the other thing I think that's worth mentioning is, of course, people can say, but the outcome is better. You might well make the argument more people would have died yeah. if they hadn't dropped those two bombs. That kind of argument is what we call a consequentialist argument. And consequentialist morality it's fundamentally opposed to the Catholic understanding of morality. Consequentialist morality essentially says the rightness or wrongness of a moral act is determined by how good the outcome is. So it's the phrase, the end justifies the means, exactly. basically. But that, that, that simply isn't moral. Yeah. There are some things which are intrinsically wrong. And even if one foresees, perhaps even directly intends, good outcomes, you cannot do evil that good may come. Mm. 
Yeah. That is a fundamental principle of Catholic moral teaching. Right. I want us to focus a little, a little bit more in on this, and, and I, I want to pull up a quote uh, from the, the Venerable uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen. Um, but I want us to, to have a listen to a piece of music first, and I've chosen a nice uh, Wesleyan hymn. And um, when we get back, we'll be taking callers. The number is 0122337564. Uh, you're welcome to call in while the song is playing, and I'll take you take you off air, and we'll we can um, pass on your question to Father Richard. Um, again, the number is 0122337564. Here is Maddie Pryor and the Carnival pl- Band pl- singing, "O Thou Who Comest from Above." listening to Questions of Faith on Radio Maria with me, Tim Hutchinson, and with Father Richard Ellsworth taking your questions. If you have any, the number is 01223-375-564, and we'd love to hear from you. Again, that's 01223-375-564. On the weekend, I watched the film Oppenheimer. Um, it was long. Ah. Three hours. And um, 
people I've 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 heard of people falling asleep in films and I realize the reason is because they make these chairs so incredibly um like beds these days that um even if it's an exciting film you you couldn't really be blamed um it was the first time I'd been into a cinema in about 6 years so it was an experience um to be remembered and uh and I thought it was it was a very good film um thank you for asking and it was uh, incredibly well made. Um, there were a few things that I thought were unnecessary, which I'm not going to mention now. Um, but um, one thing which was quite interesting was that, so I'm a bit of a Christopher Nolan fan. He, he brings up a sort of moral conundrum that he revisits in another film of his, um, which is an amazing film, which is ba the Batman trilogy, um, where they talk about the... You know, somebody is trying to be uh, persuaded to help with this with this bomb, and um, and he says the the argument that that kind of pushes them over the edge. This is one of the physicists who is is joining Oppenheimer's team, is that if we don't have um, this bomb, then the Germans will make one, um, and although we don't know what we might do with it. We certainly know what they will do with it. And I wonder if you can comment on that logic. Well, I mean, honestly, um, we do know what we will do with it. We'll drop it. I mean, that's what it's for. Yeah. The, the, the only, the sole purpose of a nuclear bomb is to kill hundreds of thousands of people, destroy vast swathes of property, and, of course, we shouldn't forget, poison the environment for years potentially generations to come that's the only thing it's for yeah you can't claim that the 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 effects of a nuclear bomb are some unintended secondary effect and that's a really important point in just war theory the violence that you perform has to be what you might call a tolerated evil a secondary effect it's not what you principally intend. The principal intention must be the restoration of peace and justice. Hmm. And you can, you can intend that by basically attacking another country in order to get rid of the people who are running it and replace them with better people yeah. who are not evil or whatever, right? So um, invading Germany in order to overthrow Nazism that's the good that you intend is the overthrow of nazism and the fact that you have to shoot some soldiers in order to achieve that is a, what you might call a tolerated evil yeah. but the use of a nuclear weapon is so vastly disproportional and the only possible purpose of that nuclear weapon is that vastly disproportional death and destruction how how can you possibly say oh you know we might use it for something good yeah you know, they'll use it for something bad but we might use it for something good what yeah what, yeah what, that's what? true it's an there's there is no real good that you could use it for i suppose you could maybe if you could propel a um space rocket in you know into outer space or something like that well <laughs> nuclear power of course is potentially a good yeah um, but nuclear and nuclear power is is not the same thing as a nuclear bomb. Yeah. So you know, researching how nuclear 
stuff works. You can probably tell at this point I am not a physicist. Researching how nuclear stuff works is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's the right thing to do. Discovering the truth is never wrong. Yeah. But then the question is, what do you do with the truths that you have discovered? What do you do with the new abilities that humanity has found? Mm -hmm. And it's worth noting at this point, I think, that um, Vatican II um, commented on this. Um, I'm trying to remember now what it is. I think it's Gaudium et Space, but don't quote me on that. Um, I just found this quote. The horror and perversity of war is immensely magnified by the addition of scientific weapons. Mm. Acts of war involving these weapons can inflict massive and indiscriminate destruction going far beyond the bounds of legitimate defense. Mm. That means actually that the existence of nuclear weapons requires us to rethink what war is. Um, war now, I mean, we, we've been thinking about this, haven't we, in, in regards to the Ukraine. Yeah. Because Russia has nuclear weapons, we are that much more frightened yeah. of getting involved in that war. Um, in a certain sense, of course, you can say, well, that is the, the, the intended effect of nuclear deterrence. Yeah. Um, but I can't see how anyone can think it's a good thing that we now live in a situation where we are so terrified of the wholesale destruction of potentially the whole of humanity that we dare not defend the good against the evil. I think that's a very good that's a very good point that you bring up that the nature of war has changed, and I think that it's changed not just because, um, you know, the atomic bomb does what um, sort of hand to hand combat does on a sort of massive scale, just times by a thousand, you know, a trillion or something like that. I think it actually has. It's not just a difference of degree; it's a difference of kind. It's a different kind yeah. of of. Um, yeah. Of, of warfare happening now. I mean, partly because you are attacking civilians. And yes. whereas you might, for example, drop a bomb on a munitions factory, and that is a perfectly legitimate act of war, of course it's conceivable that there will be civilian casualties, but you don't intend those civi civilian casualties. Mm -hmm. and the way to think about it is this. If you drop a bomb on a munitions factory, and then somehow you discover that no civilian died, you are pleased, I hope. Yeah, good point. If you drop a nuclear bomb, it is inconceivable that no civilian will die. You can't possibly claim that any civilian deaths are an accidental byproduct of the dropping of that bomb. And in fact, in the case of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you wouldn't be pleased. Truman wouldn't have been pleased because the whole point was to terrify the whole nation yeah. into ending the war. Yeah, and um, on that note, I'd like to bring up a quote from uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, who was um, he was speaking in a time when this these things had you know just recently happened. He lived through. The, um, I'm not sure if he lived through the First World War, but certainly through the Second World War. Mm. And um, 
And I think uh, it's worth noting just how courageous it was for him to speak out in the way that he did, because it wasn't the popular opinion in the United States, as far as I'm aware. Um, and I actually came across this when I was watching some of his broadcasts on YouTube years ago. And the way that he spoke about it, he said, can you, can you uh, tell me when America changed um, forever, morally speaking? And then he said, I could tell you the exact day. I could tell you the exact hour that it happened. Um, and then he went on to say that it happened um, on the 6th of August, 1945, and he gave the exact time, which I, I don't have in front of me now. Um, and and then he said the, re the reason why this happened was because this is when we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. And the and now I'll read to you a quote, which is either from the same broadcast or it is from a similar one where he talks about the same um, the same thing. He says, the dropping of the bomb of Hiroshima blotted out boundaries. There was no longer a boundary between the military and the civilian, between the helper and the helped, between the wounded and the nurse and the doctor, and the living and the dead. For even the living who escaped the bomb were already half dead. So we broke down boundaries and limits. And from that time on, the world has said, we want no one limiting me. You want no restraint, no boundaries. I have to do what I want to do. And um, so he's he is drawing a straight line from what happened in Hiroshima to a sort of moral landscape that then gets uh, what he he argues is um, perhaps not irrevocably changed, but. Um, but certainly changed to an extent where um, a whole nation is reasoning in a different way. Can mm. you can you see that that logic? Um... Yes, I can, and I I think um, there's a kind of a callousness, there's a coldness that enters into the human heart when you make a calculation that involves um, the deliberate slaughter of hundreds of thousands of civilians and as i say the poisoning of the environment now of course that's not the first act of callousness in the second world war or indeed in many many other wars obviously one thinks of the holocaust yeah. and one asks oneself what kind of mental gymnastics are required of anyone um, to, to have the attitude that, you know, we're just doing an unpleasant but necessary business, which clearly was the attitude of those who ran the death camps. But there is that, that hardness, that coldness, and it brings with it a sense that the enemy is not just Adolf Hitler or the Emperor Hirohito or Admiral Yamamoto or whoever it might be, but the enemy is all Japanese people, that they are fundamentally other mm. and that they are to be destroyed. And that attitude is exactly the same attitude as the attitude that Nazi Germany had towards the Jews. Sure. The other thing that Fulton Sheen seems to be talking about there, though, is this notion of 
the will. Yeah. Um, a kind of absolutizing of free will. I will do whatever it is in my power to do, and no one can tell me otherwise. An attitude which is uh, encapsulated by that act on behalf of the United States in 1945, it seems to me it captures a false understanding of human freedom, that mm. human freedom is simply about doing whatever you like, and no one can tell me not, because if you do, you're standing on my freedom, and that's not fair. And that's such a harmful understanding of what human freedom is, because it's divorced from any notion of human flourishing. A human being must be free to flourish, and flourishing means becoming the best human being that you can be. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean doing what you like when you like. That's so shallow. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I think that it was helpful that you drew those points out of what uh, Fulton Sheen said. Um, another person to weigh in was Elizabeth Anscombe. Um, I want to mention something that she said, but let's listen to another piece of music. This is Red Letters by DC Talk. You're listening to Questions of Faith on Radio Maria. We're answering your questions with Father Richard Ounsworth. If you'd like to call in, the number is 01223-375-564. The lines are currently open. I have a question um, from Anna, who's here with me in the studio. 
Anna, why don't you go for it? Hello. Um, my question is, can nuclear bombs ever be good, ever be justified if they're stored in order to prevent a war? How? What do you think about countries storing nuclear bombs now and um, as it's not an act of violence to have one and not intend to use it unless it's used against you first? is Can that ever be a good thing? Sure. Um, it's a good question. Um, I would just want to question the premise that it's not an act of violence. Hmm. Is it an act of violence to threaten somebody? I would say yes. And letting it be known that you have nuclear weapons is threatening somebody. Um, you could say, well, we could, we could keep them and not tell anyone, but I mean, then there's not going to be any deterrent effect. And of course, it also costs money. It's not as if you can just put these things in a, in a, in a box under a bed somewhere and forget about them. It, it costs an awful lot of money just to keep them safely. And Vatican II, again, commented on this and said, you know, um, the arms race in which an already considerable number of countries are engaged is not a safe way to preserve a steady peace nor is the so-called balance resulting from this race a sure and authentic peace. And this goes back to something we were talking about before. Peace is not just the absence of war. Peace is not just a gap in between wars. Peace is a, a state of confidence and hope and uh, justice. That's why we talk about justice and peace, because they go together. There is no peace where there is no true justice. There is no peace where there is no true fraternity among human beings. A peace which is preserved by mutual terror hmm. is no kind of peace at all. That, yeah, I think that's, how was that answer for you? Uh, yes, thank you for answering that. I, I, yeah, the um, your point that... Um, a threat is still still violence um, mm. is very interesting and I, I i do agree with that um but if i may ask a further question that would be um that you there may not be an answer to this but um if the states which are antagonizing other states own nuclear weapons then um what what is the answer for the states who are trying to maintain peace um yeah, so what you're saying is, given that the Russians have got nuclear weapons, what should we do about the Ukraine, I suppose, exactly. as an example? Um, and the answer is, I suppose, is, is pretty much what we have been doing, which is doing what we can to support um, a country which has been manifestly, illegitimately attacked, um, bringing international pressure to bear, um, and sort of feeling your way, I suppose, is the honest answer. Because what you're dealing with, with somebody who is threatening you with nuclear weapons, is a bully. Mm. Sometimes you have to stand up for a bully, but of course, you know, you can say, well, if I stand up to a bully and he hits me, well, that's on me. But if you stand up to Putin and he hits you with nuclear weapons, that's not just on me, that's on the whole world, because potentially it's the end of human civilization. So one has to be terribly careful. But the idea that living under that horror, that desperate fear 
of the end of human civilization is a good way of preserving peace seems to be, to me, just mad. Yeah. We're running out of time, um, but it feels to me like we're getting into more interesting territory as we go along. Um, you had a quote by Elizabeth Anscombe that you wanted to mention. Can well, uh, not, not a quotation. I just wanted to mention the fact that, like Fulton Sheen, Elizabeth Anscombe, who, uh, of course, um, went to mass at Blackfriars in Cambridge on a regular basis, um, she opposed, when she was a young um, philosophy uh, tutor in Oxford, she opposed giving an honorary degree to Harry S. Truman, yeah. precisely because he dropped the bomb. And she received an awful lot of hatred and invective because of that. Um, to my mind, it makes her a, a hero. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, <laughs> she's an odd kind of hero, Elizabeth Anscombe, as a, as a very sort of bookish, one might say blue stocking. I hope her daughter, who may be listening, won't object to me um, describing her as such, but undoubtedly a hero yeah. for being willing to say that which is unpopular, just as Fulton Sheen was willing to say it. But that's, you know, that's what Christians do. You speak the truth, even if no one wants to hear it. She did indeed. And she drew some very interesting philosophical conclusions um, between what happened and what was going to happen and what has ha has happened since then um, in how we're going to uh, consider sort of what is morally licit, especially in things like how we can take an innocent life to um, to further a certain uh, end. And I think mm. I, I think you can kind of get, uh, see where I'm getting with that. We're out of time, however. Um, there were some questions sent in that I never managed to get to on different topics, but we'll get to them next week. Father Richard, thank you so much for, for coming on Questions of Faith. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, would you end with a prayer for us? For prayer? I will indeed. Almighty God, pour out upon this troubled world your spirit of peace and reconciliation. Help all human beings to grow in wisdom, in love and in mercy, that we may seek true and lasting peace and justice and a world without fear. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.